Hello and welcome to Obscurity Knocks, uh, the show where we take a look at people's back catalogs, some of the most obscure things possible, in the hopes that they have stories to tell that they haven't told before, mostly because no one has bothered to ask them about these things in the past. Uh, our guest today is Barry Primus, who's got a back catalog that's quite substantial, including such films as New York, New York. Certainly it's the first one that leaps to my mind anyway, as well as uh, Space Camp for the 80s fans. Worked also and been down so long, it looks like up to me, which uh, also featured James Noble, who passed away recently. Uh, Barry, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Will. Thank you. Well, I guess uh, you know the approximate rules, because I've described them to you, but you've got uh, three cards that you can play during the course of the, the proceedings. Uh, you've got the Just Say No card. If you don't want to discuss something at all, you can just play that. There is the one-liner card. You can use that. You just have to give a one-sentence explanation as to why you don't want to go into detail. It could be as generic as you like. Uh, and then the last one is the switcher card. You can switch that out to discuss another project of uh, approximately the same level of obscurity. Okay. The first one uh, is The Nervous Set. Oh, my God. The Nervous Set is a Broadway show. It is. And uh, I, I will say that the, the first time it came across my radar was by virtue of the fact that uh, Del Close was in the cast. That's right. Del Close played um, – well, you know, they, it was written by Fran and Jay Landisman who were these um, very important people during the 50s who ran a magazine called Neurotica, which was <laughs> a, uh, an advanced um, magazine for um, very hip writers. I think it was the first place that Jack Kerouac actually published anything. Wow. And they, we were in St. Louis, and they had a nightclub there, which was very famous. It was called uh, the Crystal Palace. And uh, they had people like, um, well, they had um, Elaine May and Mike Nichols, and then they had uh, and they had Lenny Bruce playing there, and all kinds of wonderful people. And we did a series of plays there, kind of like it was like a cabaret where you had dinner and you watched plays. And they put together a musical called The Nervous Set, and I think it was like one of the first Broadway plays ever to have like a a jazz orchestra on stage. And it was basically about the under, the over underground, well, the underground uh, hippies or <laughs> what they were called in a book by Kerouac, the subterraneans, which, yes, was, yes. Uh, which were people who uh, during the day had regular jobs, but at night became hip hippies and with free love and drugs and, um, were poets and writers. Um, so, um, uh, they made this this musical about a couple that that are that and live out, out in Scarsdale and close. Uh, Dell played um, a, 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 um, a kind of crazy um, um, uh, uh, Allen Ginsberg character. <laughs> uh, he was really wild and, one, and wonderful, and I played a Jack Kerouac character, and. Um, Dell also was part of the season with us, and uh, he was, uh, you know, a, a terrifically far-out guy, and who became very important, you know, because he trained all these wonderful uh, people. Like I think he he trained the Bellucci's, didn't he? He trained them. Absolutely. Yeah. And the Murrays. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and people always talk about him, and apparently he became a real uh, force. He became the guy who held the rules of how to improvise, which had become so popular all over, and which influenced Saturday Night Live and all new comedy now. So, 
But it was a wonderful musical. It didn't last long. It was very advanced. But the songs in it by Tommy Wolf, some of them are classics, uh, like um, Spring Can Really Hang You Up the Most, uh, All the Sad Young Men. I mean, there were some wonderful songs in it, and uh, it was a wonderful experience. Larry Hagman was in it with with, with us, and uh, it was a, good, a great time. I was only 21, and it was very exciting. And Jack Kerouac came to the opening, so that was fun. Oh, wow, very cool. <laughs> All right. Uh, how was uh, Larry Hagman to work with? Because certainly very early on in his career. Well, it was very early on, and of course we all knew about Larry because his mother was Mary Martin, right? And Mary Martin was, um, I could say, the along with Ethel Merman, the, the star, the Broadway stage. I liked Larry very much. He was from Texas, and uh, I went up, used to go to his house. He used to have a, a poker game up uh, up on Broadway. I liked him very much. <laughs> Next on the list, we've got uh, East Side, West Side. Well, there's not much to say about East Side, West Side, except that George C. Scott, who everyone uh, adored, was um, was the lead. I knew George. George C. Scott was a wonderful actor who um, lived out in, I believe, Cleveland, and he made several attempts to invade New York. He had a child, and he couldn't stay and went back home and did things like construction work. And then he finally got a job um, with the New York Shakespeare Festival playing Richard III. And I was at the opening night of Richard III, and he was just astoundingly good and charismatic as can be. And um, I kind of, and I knew that uh, he was going to have a real career. And I went backstage, and he was very uh, emotional about it because I think he felt that um, he was going to this time stay in New York. He was a I, – I lived in a house with um, – in the maid's room, actually. I got the maid's room uh, free in my friend's house. And he was George's understudy, so George would come up and play cards. It's another card player. Uh, he, he was a very, very charismatic and dynamic actor and, and uh, a wonderful actor. Yeah. And that was just a, a one-off episode, right? That was just – I just – that one episode was very important to me because I I, I made $500 and went to Mexico on a, on a, a belated honeymoon. Um, <laughs> so that was very important to me. <laughs> Uh, let's see, next on the list, then, we've got uh, Puzzle of a Downfall Child. Oh, Puzzle of a Downfall Child, uh, which I'm having a very difficult time finding, if anybody knows how to get a hold of a copy of it now. They, you and me both. I, I went searching for it when you asked how to find a copy, and, and I, I failed miserably as well. <laughs> well, you can get the French copy. It's around. Okay. Um, it's been shown in Cinematheques. It was just shown in New York in the Cinematheque this year. It was made by Jerry Schatzberg, a uh, director who was his first film, and he went on to do, you know, other films. And uh, he was a high-fashion photographer who had one time gone with Faye Dunaway. And she starred in this film as a high-fashion photographer, and because Jerry was a real expert on that world, he's one of the first people to stage scenes as a high fashion photographer. In other words, he didn't just take people, take pictures of them. He took them out to Central Park 
and created an episode with them on, 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 with the photos. And there was a story there. And it was natural for him to, you know, progress to become a film director. And uh, I was in that film. It was my first, it was my second film. And first big part I'd had. It had Vivica Linfus, who was wonderful and beautiful, and Faye. And um, uh, I'm trying to think who, um, hmm. Roy Scheider, that's what I was going to tell you. Roy was in a company with Faye and I. We were in the Lincoln Center Repertory Company when I got this job. Kazan was our director. Leah Kazan. And people came in to read for Roy's part, and and both Faye and I were there. And when we saw Roy, we immediately uh, voted for him right away. And that was Roy's first part, first part on film. Uh, so, and it's a very interesting looking movie, very modern. It holds up over time. People have seen it in the last year or two and um, are very struck with how modern it is. Very European in the way that it's the time sequences of it. It's actually a beautiful film and it played in Paris uh, a year before last for a long period of time. It was brought back. And it played on the Champs-Élysées for quite some time. It had a revival, and Jerry went back over there to see it. I hope to hope that film will emerge here again. It's, it's a very very solid film, and Jerry Schatzberg's a very good director who I like a lot. Who was uh, pretty much a legend, even uh, at that point. Who was? Uh, Vivica. Oh, Vivica. Yeah, Vivica was a legend. Yes, she was one of the great Swedish beauties. You know, wonderful. And she and I were kind of friends. She lived right up the block from me. Yeah. And a George Tobias was her husband. So they were, they were friends of mine. And friends of mine also from the actor's studio that I'm a member of. So Next up is uh, Von Richthofen and Brown. Von Richthofen and Brown was directed by Roger Corman. Absolutely. And <laughs> I met Roger. And uh, had John Philip Law in it. Bavarella, who was a friend of ours, who was also in Lincoln Center Repertory Company with me. And um, we shot in Ireland. And the planes were, I guess, we were using Irish biplanes. And they, I don't know how, whether they were, they were not in good shape or whatever it was. But during the filming, we had several accidents. And in one of them, the um, helicopter camera taking shots off of a, of a plane diving at it, collided, and I think three people died. Yes. And then we had other kind of crazy accidents. Like Don Stroud, like Don Stroud, you know, uh, oh, yeah. playing one of the parts, and he got hit by a pigeon. The pilot that was piloting his plane got hit by a pigeon, and they went into the Liffey River. <laughs> uh, Von Richthofen was, of course, about the Red Baron. And how he got shot down by Brown, the, um, the Canadian pilot. Uh, so it was about early warfare, and it was quite an interesting script. I played Goering, the you know Nazi, early Nazi, uh, an impersonation of Goering when he was very young, and how he came about. Goering was a was a pilot who kind of 
came up with the idea of air-to-air combat. And his idea was to throw bricks at the other pilots as they came under him. <laughs> he also, <laughs> he also uh, came up with the idea of strafing the other fields, the English fields, which was not done at that time. There were all kind of gentlemen uh, pilots. But you were, by doing that, you were kind of stretching to show what Goering was going to become. You know, it became the head of the Luftwaffe later, you know. Right, yeah. So it was an interesting movie. On Roger was great to work with and fun, and um, <laughs> and sometimes slightly dangerous because he used so, many, so much so much over explosives that I remember at one uh, uh, one uh, explosion of a barn. Uh, we were running. We were we were choreographed to run out on the field as these these. Uh, Planes come overhead, and then the barn explodes. And um, we had to follow a path because there was dynamite going out on all over the field. And sometimes uh, 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 Gene, uh, uh, Roger didn't know where the dynamite was. We had to really <laughs> say, "What you know, a lot over there, over here, run over." Oh no, I'm sorry, Barry. I meant run over here. You know, and no one was <laughs> quite sure what the what the route was. And I looked up after this barn exploded, and I guess they put too much explosives, or maybe the barn was not rigged the right way. It was a real barn. It, and I saw nails flying through the air, and so I, oh, I thought, wow, this is really warfare. In that same raid, one of the planes caught fire, and um, Roger didn't want to waste it, so he had us all going in there and pouring water on it. Well, shot, and then it occurred to me that the plane had gasoline in it, and I said, I think we better stop this uh, project. <laughs> but he, he was, a, a, you know, Roger is a, one of the smartest people, one of the smartest people I ever met, and, and very kind. And, um, and I enjoyed working with him. And of course, uh, it's from that experience that Roger recommended uh, me to... to um, Marty Scorsese for Boxcar Bertha. And that's how I met Marty. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I guess that was a rare occasion where Roger Corman actually had a pretty substantial budget to work with. Yeah, it was one of the bigger budgets of uh, American International, I think it was. But I think United Artists finally uh, re- released it. I'm not sure. It was kind of marred by the looping, because they did some looping in it to get the German accents, and not everybody had a great German accent, and um, it's kind of marred by that. I think it's a movie. Have you ever seen that film? Uh, I've seen clips of it. I've not actually seen it in its entirety. It's actually quite interesting. I like it. One thing I, I read that was interesting that I had not known was that, uh, I guess, one of the uh, stunt pilots for that was uh, Richard Bach, who went on to write uh, Jonathan Livingston Seagull. I didn't know that. One of yeah, the right. stunt pilots for that movie. Uh, yeah, he was one of those one of the pilots. Apparently, apparently, he wrote a short story called "I Shot Down the Red Baron and So What," which is about his experiences. <laughs> no kidding, no kidding. So he was a pilot. Yeah, I know that. I know that. I was. I wonder if he was one of the ones that took me up. I remember I was shaking when I went up after all those accidents. <laughs> I really was. No. Well, yeah. yeah, I guess uh, next one is uh, the Gravy Train. Gravy Train, which became started out as the Dion Brothers, and I think they renamed it the Gravy Train. That was a great experience because of the director, who was Roger Star- who who was um, Roger um, 
Roger, no, not Roger, Jack Starrett. Right. Jack Starrett, who made, you know, um, Cleopatra Jones, and I worked with him a couple of times. He's a wonderful character. He was like a peckinpah from Texas, ex-football player. Had great instincts. I don't know if he ever read the script, but it didn't seem to matter. He just had great instincts about things. It was fun to work with. The movie um, had uh, Stacy Keach and Margot Kidder, myself, and Frederick Forrest. And um, just wonderful actors. Have you ever, I, seen, I know, uh, have you ever seen it? I, I've not. That's one I've seen the trailer. That's well, the uh, you know, it's like one, one of Quentin Tarantino's favorite films. It always wins the, um, or a lot of times wins, he told me, the audience award. And I think some people consider it an American masterpiece. It's improvised a lot of it. It has a fresh, it's about a, a, a heist in Washington, D.C. It's against the time of the Nixon time, and it's shot right up against the Capitol. We couldn't do that today. And um, it reflects a whole world of that society of Vietnam and the whole thing and, and corruption. And it's absurd and funny and um, very refreshing and um, just a wonderful movie. I, I saw it about three or four years ago with Freddie Forrest. He's great. You know Frederick Forrest's work. Absolutely, yes. Um, he's a great yeah. actor. So we had a wonderful time, and both Stacy Keach and, and Freddie and I became great pals after that. I think that certainly the name that's, that immediately leapt out at me when I was looking at the credits was, I guess it was co-written by Terrence Malick. That's right. He wrote the um, he wrote the story, I think. Okay. He wrote the story. Terrence Malick wrote the story. You're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. But Jack Starrett is a great character, and you should get uh, you should do a story. You should do a whole a whole uh, whole um, whole thing on him. I know Quentin Tarantino always talks about him too. He's a lot of people's favorite director. I mean, it's favorite kind of B director. You know, I would have. No hesitation writing a piece on that. <laughs> oh, and I guess uh, Richard Romanus was in that as well. Oh, Richard was in it, of course. Yeah, Richard, of course. Of course he was. He was also in Mean Streets. He was a good friend of mine. Yeah. Exactly. I was going to say that. that you've worked with him, uh, I guess, uh, I saw you not on my list, but I guess uh, you also worked with him on the thing called Final Stage as well. That's what I certainly did. He played the lead. Yes. I, something I directed and wrote. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Exactly. I haven't seen much of Richard. I think he's in Greece right now. I think he moved over to Greece. But he was somebody part of the group, part of that whole group. We had a great time. When a movie has a spirit, you know, like that, and a great spirit between us all, we were led by his crazy, you know, kind of uh, very eccentric and funny uh, Jack Starrett, and we all were a group of his boys. We used to have breakfast with him. He cook eggs for us at his place and Jack was always staying up all night. Taylor <laughs> got much sleep and he was, <laughs> was just funny and off the cuff and it created an atmosphere of um, daring, risk and fun, which the movie contains. I really recommend it very highly. Uh, uh, then, I guess, uh, next would be uh, a TV movie, which I don't know how many people seen. I'm not one of them. Uh, Roger and Harry is... Uh, Roger and Harry is notable <laughs> for, having, <laughs> for having been directed by no other than Jack Starrett. Yes. And Jack Starrett 
uh, got a review in the New York Times, and it said, wow, this is a really cliche-ridden television uh, pilot. Became <laughs> became a uh, uh, a pilot, but they turned it into a, a movie of the week. And it's directed by Jack Starrett, and it looks like a really first-grade, you know, um, B film. So they recognized him already, even in the review, as being very, very special. Yeah, it was Bruce Davidson and I did it together. And um, I don't know where he is now, but he was wonderful to work with. Uh, and he had, you know, he had a show of his own. Well, now, was it was it Bruce Davidson or John Davidson? John Davidson. Oh, I'm so yeah, that's what I was wondering. Bruce Davidson is a friend of mine. I, I, no, he's also a wonderful actor. But yeah. John, John, John. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I was a, a, a devout uh, viewer of uh, That's Incredible. That's right. That's right. All right. That's all. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, I was just curious, uh, as far as TV goes, I mean, certainly you, you did a certain amount of TV. Was was that something like, uh, was it a goal of yours to get a, a serious gig, or did you prefer theater and films? And... Well, no, I just wanted to work. I did one series for a year. I did um, uh, uh, Cagney and Lacey. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, no, it's just, you know, uh, I was busy with stuff, and... I, of course, I wanted to work in film. I enjoyed it, but you know, I, I did some. Uh, I did some some pilots. Well, they just didn't go. It's not easy to get a pilot that really swings, you know. There, there yeah. You go. Yeah. Uh, let's see. The next on the list is uh, Still Watch. Oh, I don't have much to say about that, so I'll just pass. Use one of the cards for that one. Uh, I said, it's a, Linda Carter was in it. Who I enjoyed. <laughs> And, and we went to Washington. All I remember about that is that we went to Washington, and we shot in Washington, and she was a friend with uh, Ted Kennedy. Oh, Got wow. to meet Ted Kennedy with her. That's about all I remember about it, you know? <laughs> what, do you want to call that the one-liner for that one? All right, I'll call that the one-liner. Okay. okay. Uh, next one is certainly one of my favorite titles of all time, uh, Cannibal Women in the Avocado Jungle of Death. All yeah, right, right. Campbell Women Avocado Jungle Death was a hundred thousand dollar movie made by John uh, J. F. Lawton, who did later on wrote um, Pretty Woman. Oh, yes. And he and I, John, were co-writers on a couple of things together. And he wrote Mistress with me, a film that I directed. And, right. right. And it's a uh, kind of kooky. A feminist uh, movie, you know, about, uh, you know, it had Bill Maher in it. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and uh, all kinds of, um, I forgot who, who played the lead in it, the girl in it. Oh, uh, Shannon Tweed. Shannon Tweed, who was a play playboy girl, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, and she was very good in it. And uh, it was just a funny, it has its fans, I believe. There's some kind of avocado town up in, uh, well, in in California that plays it a lot, like at a festival. <laughs> it's a funny little movie, um, very provocative and uh, very political, about a bunch of women who are taking over the world, you know, in some kind of crazy way. Um, <laughs> so, uh, uh, I I believe I played a kind of right wing uh, pol 
politician trying to stop them from what they were doing, you know? Yeah. So, um, kind of like what we have in the elections right now. <laughs> Someone who, quote, didn't like women too much. All right. So let's move on. Well, I got to at least ask, what do you recall about Bill Maher as an actor? Because he's not, not necessarily renowned for his no, acting. I remember him being funny, and I liked him as an actor. He was very solid. He had a reality to him. I knew he was a stand-up comic, but he had a good reality to him. And I've seen him around from time to time. But, uh, uh, you know, he was good in the movie. He was nice. He probably could have had a, you know, much more of a career as an actor. Did he? he did some other movies, didn't he? He did it to a few, yeah. That was, I guess, right around the time where he was beginning to transition out of them. But yeah, and what was what was he transitioning into? Uh, stand up, and then I guess politically incorrect. He had not too long after that. You know what? You're right. He he was a straight actor, and then he did his stand up stuff. You're right about that because John okay. stayed stayed friendly with him, and I think um, you're right about that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. The next up is denial. I don't know. I'm gonna, you know, the, the denial. The only thing I can say about denial, it had uh, Robin Wright in it, and um, Chong. Well, uh, who was in it? Remind me. Oh, uh, Ray Don Chong. Oh, Ray Don Chong. Yeah, Ray Don Chong, who I had coached. I'd been a coach, and I coached her also. And also, uh, who else was in it? There was a young guy in it who became. Uh, well, David Duchovny. Uh, yeah, Dave. But Dave, that was his first thing ever. Yeah. That was his first, I so. and I, I, he had a tiny role in it, very small. And then there was, um, who's the lead? The other was one other lead. Oh, uh, Jason Patrick. Was Jason lead. Patrick. I think this was his first or second role. He had, didn't have much of a career at that point. Uh, I, mean, I think that was on the heels of uh, Lost Boys, which is just... The Lost Boys, yeah. And Sean... Uh, had been courting, uh, Sean Penn had been courting Robin, so he used to, he used to come up uh, during the shooting. Uh, um, and that's, you know, I knew Sean, so. And, and it, was, uh, it was just an interesting shoot for me because it was during the time I had my child, Raphaela Rose, and uh, I made, I think, two or three trips down because of, um, we thought we were going to give birth, but didn't. <laughs> it was shot up in this um, um, silicone, silicone Valley. And uh, it's an interesting movie. I don't know what happened to that director. She was very touted. Her name was uh, Dagan. What's her name? Dagan? Um, uh, Aaron. Uh, Dagan. Yeah. I think maybe she went to France, but she was interesting. And um, that movie's worth looking at. Sean Penn likes that movie a lot, by the way. Yeah, it's funny. I, when I looked at her filmography, uh, the next thing she did actually was as an actor, but she was in Sean Penn's The Crossing Guard. She was in it. Yeah, it just as a, a Peter's guest is her credit. Oh, they became friends. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, then next up is uh, I know a film that is close to your heart, uh, Mistress. Mistress, yes. Mistress, I. Uh, Mistress, I directed and wrote. Co-wrote with John Lawton, and um, it's a very good film. Uh, I, I saw it the other night and was surprised how much I liked it again. Uh, there are things you do in life that you know you 
that you want to turn out right. And that was one of them. It really reflects what I had to say about it. So, but, you know, it's, it comes from that old joke about, you know, a uh, guy goes to heaven and, 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 says, and an angel comes and says, God wants you to, you know, wants you to uh, direct a movie because uh, the guy's a director who dies. And he says, okay, I'll direct it. Who do you got to write it? And he says, write it. We got everybody here. We got, you know, we got Shakespeare and Dante, and, you know, you name it. We got it. He says, oh, God, great. What about music? He says, music, we got Mozart, Beethoven, you know, whatever you want. And he says, what about scenic design? Scenic design, Raphael, Michelangelo, what do you want? He says, all right, well, who's going to play? Uh, uh, you know, I need, uh, 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 there's an actress in it, right? He says, yes. He says, well, who's going who's gonna, to who's gonna, who's gonna play the, the, the female lead? And the angel said, well, see, that's just it. God has this girlfriend. <laughs> see, so... It's all about the guy who, you know, can't get a movie made and finally bumps into a producer played by Martin Land that was brilliant in the film. And uh, he has an idea that the way to get it financed is to get guys with girlfriends to put their girlfriends into the movie. <laughs> and so that's what happens. It goes round and round. Of course, like everything else, it, it doesn't work out in his life. The movie is really about frustrated dreams and the price of dreams. And it has one of the best casts you can imagine. It Robert De Niro, Chris Walken, uh, Martin Landau, Ernest Borgenheim, Danny Aiello, Gene Smart, Cheryl Lee Ralph, Robert Wool. I mean, you know, you can't you just you, know, you can't get a cast. Oh, and Eli Wallach. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah have you seen it? Yes, it's been quite a while, but I have actually seen that one. Well, that's a good movie. Oh, yeah. I really recommend that movie to people. And, uh, it, it's quite successful, but did not have the distribution that it should have had. Um, uh, but it keeps coming back, and people keep remembering it, which I'm pleased that I'm now trying to – been trying for some time now to do another movie based – Similar on, on similar characters on similar characters called Twenty Percent Fiction, something I'm working <laughs> working on right now to direct. That was a great experience in my life, just great. Well, just very quick, curious about uh, De Niro. Uh, obviously, you worked with him in New York, New York, and you worked with him plenty of times since then. Uh, had you known him prior to New York, New York, or did you guys just bond on that? No, we knew knew, knew Bob uh, from prior to that. I thought, but uh, we were both young actors in New York in the actor studio, and we became just. A, he was a wonderful actor, and uh, I went to see him in a play written by Shelley Winters, and I went backstage and talked with John, uh, with with Bob, and the next day we started meeting and having lunch every day for oh for a, a year or so, and. And then, uh, and Bob was a working actor. He's working with uh, Brian De Palmer on films. And then, of course, he got Godfather. But, but uh, Bob and I have remained uh, uh, extremely close and family friends for, uh, for a long time. So yeah, he was. It was. It, it came about through Bob that I got that role. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, the next one on the list was uh, Lodestar. I know you've said uh, well, 
you I don't have much to say. I'm going to pass on that. All right. Uh, now, did you want to uh, do the switcher on that and talk about autopsy? Because I know you had mentioned that as something. Autopsy? That, uh... No, not really. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, autopsy. Uh, uh, autopsy. Autopsy. Uh, I don't know what to say about it. You know, it was a film <laughs> that Quentin Tarantino owns. Have you ever seen it? Uh, that's another one that I've only seen the uh, the trailer. I'm not sure if I have the stamina to, to watch it based on what I've read about it. <laughs> well, Quentin loves it. It's was part of part of what's called yellow filmmaking, yellow yellow horror, okay. which was the Italian time where they sexualized horror movies. And uh, uh, Armando Crispino, an Italian director. A nice man brought me there to do it. It was a fantastic experience because I lived in Rome for about eight weeks. Wow. And it had an actress in it that was popular at that time, Mimsy Farmer. Okay. You know who Mimsy Farmer is? I, I know the name. I don't know uh, a great deal about oh, her. Mimsy Farmer. She was a, a Californian girl who went to uh, Europe on a trip, made a movie, became a big star in Italy. She was a big name in Italy. And, uh, and uh, she'd be worthwhile doing a show on. She's interesting. And uh, it was a horror film shot partly in a morgue. And Quentin loves that film. And as a matter of fact, I've, he, I've talked at one of his grindhouse uh, showings of it. You know? uh, uh, I don't know if I'd rush out to see it, but if you're, if you're <laughs> interested in certain kinds of horror films, it's very special. Uh, let's see. Next up is uh, Gold Coast. Gold Coast is not much to say. Let's pass on that one. No. Okay. Yeah. So, I, I'll, not that we have to go into it. The only reason I was mostly curious about that was because of the fact that it's an uh, uh, adaptation of Elmore Leonard. Oh, uh, well, that's true. And, and um, yeah, he's a terrific writer, isn't he? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did he pass away? He did. He did, yeah. I uh, was fortunate enough. I've met him for about long enough to shake his hand at a uh, television critics event. Uh, I, I, I met him during right after the shooting of that movie in Miami Beach, uh, oh, wow. at, at a bookshop, and um, Peter Weller directed it. The actor, you know Peter Weller. Yes, definitely. And uh, Caruso was in it. It was good. You know who I knew. Oh, David Cruz, all right. Dave, Dave, David was in it, who I knew beforehand, because his wife, Rachel, had um, been my, my wife's assistant. My wife's a choreographer, and she choreographed hair in a lot of musicals. And his wife, David's wife, was a choreographer, was, was my wife's assistant. So David and I had a nice time on that together. It was fun. But he's a wonderful writer, my God, Elmer. And then uh, we have uh, Jackson. Jackson. Well, Jackson is close to my heart. It was written by J.F. Lawton again, the guy who wrote uh, Pretty Woman and Mistress with me. And, um, it's got Charlie Robinson and I as two bums wandering around uh, L.A. who find $20 and try not to spend it and try not to break it. And um, they come through random kindnesses and all kinds of crazy things. 
Meanwhile, while they're wandering around, an opera company is singing songs dressed as homeless people. And they sing kind of the subtext of what these these uh, impoverished guys are really about. You know, the music expresses what they're about and all these great classic tunes. It's a very, very unusual movie. And it did not, it won all kinds of prizes at festivals. And because of the fact that it, you don't have a certain amount of, you know, uh, a mass of enough uh, people <clears throat> And you can't get a release at it on a big, on, on a real level. And the, right, film, right. the film was never picked up for a real distribution deal. And it, it's beyond me because when people see it, they consider it like a kind of a neo-realistic classic. It's very funny because John has a very good feeling for, for, and a very good feeling for what was wrong with the country and how these guys, in their own way, are trying to solve these things. All they do as they walk is they talk about what's wrong with the world, and they try to solve it themselves. They have crazy attitudes that turn out to be very, very good. Like one time they have this, you know, trickle-down theory, mm -hmm. and they talk about the trickle-down theory while they're peeing, you know, and they're, <laughs> and they're talking about how absurd it is and the whole thing about that people do. I'm not going to just give because they want to and blah, blah, blah. It's really terrific. And I wish people would see it. I think you can get it on Amazon, right? I think you can get it on... Uh, no, I think it's on iTunes also. I, I recommend it. recommend it. We've got disappointment to us all that never got a distribution. I think a lot of people underestimate uh, Charlie Robinson just by virtue of the fact they just think of him in terms of Night Court or you know, just sitcom work. But oh, he's wonderful. He's definitely got a, a dramatic edge to him. Oh, well, where, where do you see him in this? He's great. He's wonderful on this, Charlie. You should do Charlie on the show. I, I would love to do Charlie. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people don't realize nearly how much stuff he's done. Oh, amazing, amazing amount of stuff. Amazing. Well, that is uh, the last one on my list, but uh, a, a stock question that I have, is there a particular favorite project that you've worked on over the years that uh, yeah. maybe did oh, not there, there Heartland, the movie I did. Absolutely, yes. With, with Rip Torn, Conchata Farrell. That's like the best Western around. I mean, you know, that kind of Western, a real Western of living in the West, beautifully done by the director, uh, Pierce, right? Um, who, who, who directed it? Uh, I confirming that right now. Hold on. <laughs> uh, Pierce. And, and um, Richard Pierce. Yes, Richard Pierce. And uh, beautifully shot and... Um, I love that movie. That was a great experience living in Montana during the shooting of that. And, um, uh, you know, we, we, we shot it in a real homestead. And it's about how this family, you know, makes it through a winter. Uh, I would say of all the projects I've done, that was one of my most uh, you know, heartfelt, you know. Really enjoyed there, living there and being a part of it. And, um, the character was an illiterate, lonely guy, and I lived in, in a little house in a town and had all the feeling that the character had just by being there. It was an extraordinary place, Montana. Well, that was a great experience. And then I've got, you know, the other ones, I mean, things like The Rose. I did a lot of work with Mark Rydell, the director. Oh, right. And The Rose was a great experience for me with Ben Edler. 
who's a friend of mine, remained a friend of mine. It was a great, great experience with Mark. He was a great person to work with. Absence of Malice with um, Sidney Pollack, I enjoyed a lot, you know. And Boxcar Bertha, you know, with Marty was a great experience. Absolutely, yes. You've seen Boxcar. That one I have, yes. Well, those are all, all, uh, you know, but whatever you're doing now becomes your favorite thing because that's what you're concentrating on. There's a movie I did last year, which I like a lot, which is on demand. It was at the movie theaters, and now it's on demand. It's called Bad Hurch. Okay, I've heard the title. It's with Karen Allen. Okay. And it's a very good movie, and I recommend it. Uh, it's a movie about uh, a troubled family in Staten Island, and the girl has autism, and her um, um, father's out of work, and it's really heartfelt and, um, and beautifully, beautifully done. So I, I recommend it. Uh, Michael Harney, you know, the guy who's in Black is the new, uh, what is it, Orange is the New Black? Orange is the New Black, yeah. A wonderful actor, you know, he's in it. So, I enjoyed that. Oh, I, I just something I wanted to ask about uh, Heartland, just uh, mostly because of when I interviewed uh, Conchata, she was telling me her uh, Rip Torn experiences. Uh, did you have a, a Rip Torn story that, that defines working with him? Well, she's a very good actor. And, uh, you know, uh, well, I know Rip Rip wanted to, uh, to, uh, Rip spent a lot of time fishing up there. I remember that. I remember when we were done shooting, he was out out fishing all the time. And sometimes he could be very argumentative. And you, uh, uh, Sometimes, you know, he would hold the shooting up and ar- ar- argue about something or another thing. And I think sometimes Rip was just arguing because he was tense and wanted to get rid of a certain amount of tension by doing that. But sometimes it didn't pay off because other people got tense while he was getting on tense. You know? <laughs> but he was a great character. He was wonderful in the role. I'm sure Conchata said that, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And uh, who cares how people get there as long as you get there, you know? I, I don't have many stories of actors or directors that I would want to, even if I even if I really thought about it or really want to say negative things about them because I think that acting or directing or creating on any level is like you should belong to that group that did it. And whatever you got to do to get there, that's what you did. And it should be private, like going to a therapist. I don't, <laughs> I don't think uh, it's necessarily that uh, uh, the public has to understand how people get where they get. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, and I will say that her, her story was not anything to do with how he acted. It was, uh, she, uh, so they were leaving, were leaving rehearsal and Rip had a car. Yeah. And he said, well, do you want me to show you the town? Because she had just gotten there. Right. And uh, he said, uh, she said he was driving around. He showed me this. He showed me that. And I said, my God, Rip, how long have you been here? And he said, well, I got here two days ago. <laughs> she said, how in the world are you so familiar with everything? And he said, well, I make it a point to know my way, every way out of every town I'm in. No, yeah, well, I think that's true of Rip, yeah. <laughs> he, he, uh, he, uh, he, uh, he certainly 
encamped wherever he was. On that movie, I mean, he really brought his fishing rods and his girlfriend, and, and you know, he really centered in on being there. He really lived there, you know? Yeah. Uh, how's Rip doing? Do we know how he is? Or? I, I don't know. The, the most I know about him is that when uh, Gary Shandling passed away recently, he issued a, a statement that was a very sweet uh, uh, kind of farewell statement. It was wonderful on that show. Oh, to say the least. Gary Gary was wonderful, too. Was wonderful. I, one of my favorite comedians of all time. Yeah, I know. I had a chance to work with him a little bit. He was a terrific guy. Well, all right. I don't know. We're done, I guess. I can't. We are done. You, you've endured, and I appreciate you doing so. <laughs> now, do you have anything else uh, upcoming to, to, to uh, promote? No, I, uh, uh, at the moment, I'm, I'm working on getting my film made, 20% Fiction. That's what I'm doing. And I also teach at UCLA in the film division, you know, so I'm busy doing that. But most of all, I'm trying to get this, uh, this project off the ground right now. And I just made a um, series of shorts for a friend of mine, which we're putting together. So that's what I'm doing, writing and trying, trying to get this together. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you very much, Barry. I appreciate you uh, being the guest and uh, discussing some of these uh, obscurities. All right. Okay. Good. And I hope that I hope people enjoy hearing about them. As do I. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. If you hear about anything about Puzzle of a Downfall Child, I will get a copy of it. Let me know. I absolutely will. All right. You've been listening to Obscurity Knox, and now you're not. Look for us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Just remember on Twitter, Knox is spelled K-N-O-X, and we're not bitter about that. No, really, we're not. Also, for a slightly more detailed look into the projects covered by this week's guest, head over to newsreviewsinterviews.com. Thanks for checking us out, and don't be afraid to check us out again. If you keep listening, we'll keep digging for more obscurities. See you next time. <laughs>